You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I interpret the experience by the scripture, not the scripture by the experience. So once I've read this text, once I observed it, and once I interpret the scripture, I look for an application. In other words, how do I respond to what I've just read, observed, and interpreted? What is my response to the scripture, what it says? I don't play Bible roulette where I just turn the Bible and go, boom. How do we appropriately understand and apply what the Bible is saying? In today's teaching, Pastor Dave will help answer this question by giving practical examples. The Word of God is truth, and it is powerful. The contents of it should elicit a response from those who diligently read and study it. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 16 as he begins his message, Applying the Principles of God's Word. You have your Bibles open to Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. If you would read silently, I will read aloud. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Well, I'm sure you've heard the story about the young pastor was sitting in a restaurant eating lunch. He opened the letter that he had just received that morning from his mom. As he opened the letter, a $20 bill fell out onto the table. As it was happening, the young pastor smiled. And he thought to himself, thanks, mom. I sure needed this right now. And as he finished his meal, he was leaving the restaurant. He noticed that there was a beggar outside, standing on the corner, and he had his hand out for people who would go by. The young pastor thought, looked up to God, and said, yeah. Walked up, put the $20 in the envelope that was in there, crossed out the names, and wrote the word persevere on it. Not to be too conspicuous, he walked by the man, and as he walked by the man, he dropped the envelope. As he got up to the corner, he kind of turned back, saw the man bend down, pick the envelope, read it, open it up, and smile. Man, thank you, Lord. Following day, the pastor again was at the same restaurant, and he was having lunch, sitting there eating. And the same man who was on the corner came up to him, tapped him on the shoulder, gave him a great big large wad of bills. He looked at him and said, what's this? The man said, this is your half of the winnings. Persevere came in first at the fourth race. (laughs) Paid 30 to 1. 
what I see in this story that I just told you is two different interpretations and two different applications of the word persevere. It was given on one particular thought, with one particular thought in mind, and then it was interpreted and applied in two very different ways. I believe that one of the problems that's facing the Christian church today is the misinterpretation and or the misapplication of the Word of God. As I've stated many times before, I can take God's word and I can twist it, misinterpret it, misapply it to rationalize anything I want to do, anything at all that I choose to do. I can do that through the word of God by misapplying it and misinterpreting it. Let me give you an example. If you read the first half of Isaiah 5 verse 1, this is what it says, woe to those who rise up early in the morning. Boy, do I like that. That means I can sleep in, put my feet up, put my head on the... Oh, yeah, I don't have to... Woe to them that rise up early. I can sleep in till 11 or 12 every day. Wow, this is getting to be good. I love this Bible stuff. I basically can stay in bed as long as I want, and I have God's Word on it. Might sound crazy, but this is what's happening in a lot of various places today. Scripture is being taken out of context... And the churches are making dogma out of it. And dogma simply means that it's a truth that's taught by the church. It's a truth that can't be doubted. But if you read the context of the Scripture and you look at the entire Scripture, if you look at the rest of the Scripture, you get the entire meaning of what God intended in the text. In fact, there's a comma at the end of that verse or that phrase. And it goes on and says that they may follow intoxicating drink who continue until night till wine inflames them. When I look at the total context of the text, when I read it and then I apply it, I see that the true meaning is far from the one that I originally came up with. Far from the one. See, I must rely on the Holy Spirit if I want to be guided through the text. If I want the text to say what it's supposed to say, that God's Word is intended it to be, I must rely on God's Holy Spirit to lead me through. And as the Holy Spirit leads me through, He will make known to me what the Scripture says and how to apply it. See, this is the problem with misinterpretation. This is the problem with misapplication. When you do that without the Holy Spirit, the Scripture then means what I want it to say. It means what I want it to say and not what God has intended it to say. Because there's a purpose for God's Word. God has put His Word out there for a purpose. And it serves a purpose. So what do I mean by application? Application simply means, how do I respond to God's Word? That's application. How do I make it my life? After I've read it and received it, what do I do? So, what is application? Well, When I study the Scriptures, when I read the Scriptures, the first thing I do, obviously, is I pray. And I ask the Holy Spirit to guide me through the text. I then read the text several times, and I observe it. While I'm observing it, I'm recording my first impressions about the text. I record the who, the what, the where, the when, the how of the text. I gather as much information from the text as I can. Who's speaking? Where are they at? What's the context? What's going on? Is there things I need to know? When I'm finished observing, I might read the Scripture again many more times, continually reading it as I move into the interpretation stage. 
I'm looking for the correct interpretation of the Scripture. See, I want the Scripture to basically interpret itself. Is it a literal interpretation, or is it some figurative interpretation? I study the context and going several Scriptures before and several Scriptures below to see where the context's in. I don't just pull it out of the thin air and go, we'll use this. I let Scripture interpret Scripture. I've said before, I'll say again, the best commentary, and I have a lot of commentaries. My library is full of commentaries, and I often quote my favorite. But the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It's the best commentary on itself, and it will continue to make commentary as you read through it and glean from it that which it's supposed to do. Now, the New Testament always takes precedent when I'm studying. I interpret the experience by the Scripture, not the Scripture by the experience. So once I've read this text, once I observed it, and once I interpret the Scripture, I look for an application. In other words, how do I respond to what I've just read, observed, and interpreted? What is my response to the Scripture, what it says? I don't play Bible roulette where I just turn the Bible and go, boom. You know, I love that when you go like this, you put, boom, and Judas hanged himself. Whoa, wait a minute. Go and do likewise. Whoa, wait a minute. I don't like that kind of interpretation of the Scripture. That scares me. There's a great Scripture reference about God's Word, many, many Scripture references about God's Word in His Word. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. God's Word is our guide each step we take. And He lights the way in the midst of darkness so that we can see clearly each step we take. Guess what? He's already been there. And He's provided a way for us to get there. See, application can be summarized in one word, action. Application is action on your part. When we read God's word, we should be urged into a response. We should be urged into a response. In response, we might answer some of these questions. What are the examples that I need to follow? Is there a sin I need to forsake? Are there errors I need to avoid? Are there promises that I need to believe Or are there commands for me to obey? See, these questions require an action on your part. They require something on your part. But there's tools necessary in this process also. The first and foremost tool, as I mentioned, is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If you're not looking to the guidance of the Holy Spirit for direction, then you're relying on your own power to determine the words. If I was to give up here and stand and give you what I think You would not want that. That is not what the Lord wants you to have, and that is not what I want you to have. I want you to have God's Word. Because what I have to say doesn't amount to anything compared to God's Word. The great, great Scripture about the Holy Spirit and what He does in our lives in 1 Corinthians 2 in 10 verses. And I've got these 10 verses down here, and if you will, I'm going to read them to you. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16, he says, And I, Paul speaking, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. 
and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not be of the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Listen. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words in which man's wisdom teaches, but in which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. Clearly, what's Paul talking about there? We desire the spiritual wisdom of God because through the spiritual, all things are spiritual. We want the spiritual wisdom of God. We don't want man's wisdom. We want God's wisdom. David Guzik said this, about these verses. This does not mean that every believer has equal spiritual wisdom. And it does not mean that we will understand all spiritual mysteries. It does mean, however, that every believer can understand the basics of the Christian message, which is unattainable and undesirable by human wisdom. Think about when you weren't a Christian. What did the Word of God mean to you then? Something really nice that sat on the coffee table at my house, about this big. Maybe that's what it meant. Those of you that are born again into a living hope, those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and have moved from the old man into the new man, the Word of God means something now because it's God's Word. And it means something to us. It's not human wisdom. We must therefore rely on the Holy Spirit for wisdom to interpret and apply the Scriptures to our lives. The final tool in the application process is the so what now tool. What do I plan to do about it? What is my response? What difference will this make in my life? What specific plans can I make in my life? What will I do? How will I do it? That's the what now phrase. What good is reading scriptures in the word of God and not applying them to our lives? It serves no purpose. It serves absolutely no purpose. Jesus gives us clear reasons as to why we should obey him in Luke 6, 46 and 49, as he's teaching to his disciples on the plane, as he's teaching these wonderful words, he asked them, he said, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? 
Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. The ruin of that house was great. Knowing the word of God, correctly applying it to your life, gives you strength when the storm comes. You notice that I didn't say if the storm comes. I said when the storm comes. And the storms of life come. And the storms of life go. And the storms of life come again. And the storms of life go again. Ebb and tide. The storms of life. How do you get through the storm? If your foundation is not on the rock of Jesus Christ, if your foundation isn't solid and rooted and grounded in the Word of God, then you're going to be tossed through and fro by every doctrine that comes along. We can sleep all day long. I love it. Mm. Let's do it. No, you need to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We need to be applying the Word of God to our life. That's where we get our life. That's where we get our strength. We have a choice. There's always a choice involved. I love God's word. There's always a choice. You can apply it or you don't have to. I don't know why, but I always think of the Fram oil filter God. Pay me now or pay me later. I don't know. I always think of him when I do that. But I think the reactions that we have towards the word of God might be based on how we receive the word of God. How do you receive the word of God? How do you receive the Word of God? Do you believe that the Word of God is indeed inspired by the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that the Word of God is inerrant? Do you believe that it's infallible? Do you believe that it is indeed the true Word of God? Then you should be moved to obey it when you read it. It all depends on how you receive it. You remember what Paul said to the church of Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13? For this reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively also works in you who believe. Paul is declaring that here that the word of God, when received as it is, the actual word of God, it will do the work in you that is supposed to do. Something will begin to happen in your life. A change will come over you. A metamorphosis, if you will. It will transformation. And this change will begin to be noticeable to those around you. They will see this change. And they will notice it. So we see that the accurate application and interpretation of the Scriptures is extremely important to the Christian. Reading and studying God's Word can only be as valuable as it is when we apply it in our lives. Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul knew this. I mean, that's all. He studied under the great Gamaliel, the Old Testament Scriptures. He spent three years being taught by our loved Savior, Jesus Christ. He spent three years knowing God's Word. He knew how to take the principles of God and apply them to life. He knew when it was to stand firm. Doctrinal issues. Issues of doctrine. He knew when to stand firm. And he knew when to yield. He knew when to yield. Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And he relied upon the Holy Spirit to guide him in all matters, especially the application of God's word. As we look at our text this morning, these five verses, we see Paul correctly applying God's word with confidence, as a wise spiritual leader should. He replied God's word with confidence. In our opening verses, we see the new dream team. Paul and Silas now. No longer Paul and Barnabas, but Paul and Silas, the new dream team. They're going back to Derby and Lystra. We read this in verses 1 and 2. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. You know, one thing that definitely stands out with me about Paul is his total lack of fear. His total lack of concern for his own life. Does anybody remember chapter 14? What happened to Paul in Lystra? Oh, they loved him so much that they stoned him and drug him out of the city and left him for dead. Paul says, hey, let's go back to Lystra. <laughs> Wait a minute, Paul, we got we to gotta talk. What? Do you remember what they did to you back there? Well, see, God has a plan. God had this wonderful, wonderful plan because there was somebody waiting for Paul at Lystra. There was somebody waiting for him, a young man, a young man who the Holy Spirit had raised up. The Holy Spirit had dealt with this young man and and had led him in there. And Paul knew God's word. Paul knew what the scriptures said. The writer of Hebrews in 13, verse 5 and 6 says this, let your conduct be without covetousness, Be content for such things as you have, for he himself, he's talking about our Lord, has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That last part was not New Testament writing at all. It was written by David in Psalm 118, verse 6. Paul knew the scriptures. He applied them correctly. And with confidence, he says, we're going back to Lystra. We're going back to Lystra. Wow. See, my confidence cannot be in my own ability. Certainly not in my knowledge or my intelligence. Some of you know me. Maybe not in my good looks. My confidence must be in the Lord. My confidence must be in the Lord in every situation. Not my ability, his ability. Not my strength, his strength. This is the confidence that Paul had. When he arrives in Lystra, Paul finds out that all the efforts of his last journey, the stoning, the bruising, the belittling, the dragging out of the city, being left for dead, was not in vain. It was not in vain. You know, most scholars believe that five years had passed since they had visited Lystra. Well, it seems like just a couple pages. Well, they said five years had passed since they had been at Lystra. Paul goes back. They're there. During those five years, the Holy Spirit was at work. The Holy Spirit was working in the heart of a young man named Timothy. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, 
they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Oh